1: Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel. Be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. You'll receive the latest travel news and tips and stories. And I'll tell you, we're starting to do a little planning for 2019 with some packages maybe go on some great trips together so be sure to sign up that's speakingoftravel.net and remember you can always listen to this episode of speaking of travel or any past episode with a simple click on that speaking of travel website speakingoftravel.net and on the iHeartRadio app iTunes, Spotify, And Google Play. And be sure to follow Speaking of Travel on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, let me tell you, back in late 2015, I had the opportunity to interview Tess Viglin as she embarked on an open-ended journey to explore the world. She put all her stuff in storage and left her old life behind to begin a new chapter. Well, Tess was a longtime host with Public Radio's Marketplace, and I'm sure that seems so long ago to her now, because since our first conversation, Tess and I have stayed connected and talked a lot about what she described as a remarkable, soul-expanding, improbable adventure of a lifetime. And now she's home. Tess, welcome back to Speaking of Travel, and welcome home. Oh, thank
0: you so much, Marilyn. Geez, just as you read my words back to me, I got chills.
1: Oh, well, I get chills every time I talk to you, because you have really <laughs> stepped out on this grand adventure, and, and you did it. And what, you were in 20 countries in two years and eight months or yeah. something? What? Yep, two two years, eight months and uh, 20 countries and
0: I lived in two different cities, uh, Ho Chi Minh City and Bangkok. had apartments there and used those as basically home bases from which to travel throughout the region. And yeah, I, I got home in, in August of 2018 and I'm and really, for Marilyn, it, I feel like it is almost harder to come home than it was to go. It is so disorienting to be back um, in, in so many different ways that I didn't expect. And so I'm, I'm really in this another like, life transitional phase where I'm also trying to absorb and um, get some perspective on what I just did, because, you know, when we we, we talked almost three years ago, I really had no idea that I was going to be gone as long as I ended up being gone. So now I'm I'm looking back, uh, even though I just got home, and I'm like, how did that happen?
1: (laughs) But it did happen, and you lived it, and I want you to maybe... Let us get into your head for a little while, and as you tell us a little bit about um, what these almost three years have been like for you, and let's go back to the beginning, because, you know, when we first talked in December, I think it was 2015, right? Right. Yep, yep. Yeah, so, you know, there's this sense of um oh my god, I'm doing this and and you're showing <laughs> us what you're packing and you're getting all this research done and you're getting everything, you know, kind of letting go of things and opening yourself up to this to this Uh, stepping out, uh, let's talk just a little bit, let's go back there for a moment and and put us in your head of what it was like, like when you got to Vietnam and and started this adventure.
0: Well, I'll actually start with the flight uh, from San Francisco um, through Hong Kong to Saigon, uh, where I I had left in Los Angeles and I had to go up to San Francisco to get the flight across. And I was waiting for so long in the San Francisco airport, and I had been just massively over. I think it was six or seven hours. And I just sat there crying, <laughs> wondering what I had just done. Because I had just put, as you mentioned, all my stuff in storage. Um, I was leaving my marriage. I was leaving the United States. And a lot of it happened really quickly, and I didn't give myself a ton of room to really think about what I was about to do. And I did it purposely because I didn't want to be thinking so much that I either decided not to do it or I freaking out. But sitting there in the airport, I just really was like, I'm i am I'm leaving for this place where I've never set foot on the continent. And they don't even have an alphabet that I'm going to recognize. So not, not only am I not going to be able to speak the language, but... I'm not even going to be able to read signs, and I'm not going to know anyone, and I am i don't know if I'm going to love the food, and I don't know how to get around, and so I, I was just sitting there at the airport, sweeping and texting with my mom, no. <laughs> and then you know, I 46 at the time. I'm 49 now, and I just, you know, I look back on that, and, and I, I think to myself, you know, I I could, I could have just turned around. I could have just turned back around and gone back to Los Angeles. But I didn't. And I will never really know why. Um, people often ask me what prompted this whole adventure. And it's very hard for me to pinpoint that. Um, there was a lot going on in my life. There was a lot changing. There was a lot uh, that was, keeping, that was no, no longer keeping me tethered to the United States and I had always wanted to travel but that still doesn't explain why I just like got on the plane and left so all of that was going through my head and then I eventually got on the plane and got through Hong Kong which I thought the airport was just incredible there I loved it and then I landed in Saigon in the middle of the night I think it was 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning and took a taxi so it's dark the streets are empty and I'm in this not only a foreign city but a foreign country where I've never been and I got to my hotel, and I just, again, started weeping. And I called my mom, who, again, <laughs> I, Sky- I Skyped with her. Um, and I was like, I- what have I done? What-, what on earth have I done? And, you know, I calmed down. Um, and But I didn't get this sleep that night. Uh, and then it became day there, so I'm, you know, 14, 15 hours ahead of where I just left, and I slept through the entire day, and woke up at about 5 or 6 o'clock at night, and it was just getting dark, and I walked into the streets of Saigon, and I just had the biggest smile on my face. I could not believe where I was. <laughs> I could not believe that I was in Saigon, Vietnam, in Southeast Asia on the Asian continent, 8,000 miles away from home. And the vibrance of the city, the colors of the city, the smells of the city, all the street food, I just was like, okay, let's go. This was the right thing to do. Let's go explore.
1: I love the way it just kicked in like that and the big smile on the face. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the perfect word for it. It's just
0: it was, like it, it, it was just like it kicked in. It was just, all of a sudden, it felt like it was
1: exactly where I was supposed to be. You know, sometimes it's like we're traveling through this vortex. Like, did you ever see that movie, Being John Malkovich? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're, and you're over here, and you're doing something, and then all of a sudden, it's like, whoop, and then boom, yep. there you are. And it's like, oh, here I am. This is where I'm supposed to be. That's a, that's,
0: a, that's totally. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and see that movie again because that's exactly what it was like. You know, I and, love it. Yeah, you know, going through the the Star Trek. You know, the what do they call it? The, the thing where they, you
1: know, just like beam Ooh! me up, <laughs> beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. yeah. Um, so it was. It really was. You know, I'm not saying we're easy those first few days, but it definitely felt right. And there's a real gift to that when you make a huge decision in your life. And even though it may not feel like it right after you make that decision, um, once you get into it, you realize it was what you were supposed to do and you trusted yourself to do it. And it turns out that you were right. Your gut was right. That's it's a
1: real gift in life. It totally is, and it manifests big time in that smile on your face where you know, wow, all my muscles are moving up on my face. Yep. <laughs> That's a good yep. thing. Well, Tess, when exactly. we come back, let's kick off right there and, and take the journey to the next step because, you know, you're back now, and this is a good time to do some reflecting. So thank you for being on Speaking of Travel.
0: Always my pleasure, Marilyn.
1: Thanks. We're visiting with Tess Figlin today... We're back with Tess Vigilin. She is just coming back from an almost three-year adventure. And, Tess, I'm telling you, you know, as you were talking in the uh, – bringing us back to the beginning of sitting in the airport and crying and then suddenly waking up, it, it, because it is like a big wake-up moment in so many ways, isn't it, to to just land and be there?
0: Yes. You on your jet lag and – Wondering, like you wake up and you don't know where you are, in a strange hotel room. Um, but again, it was, you know, as soon as I walked out that door, and I forced myself to get up. I had slept, I don't know how many hours, maybe eleven or twelve, um, after getting off the plane from San Francisco, and you know, I forced myself to, to get out. It was a great time. and you know, I was suddenly surrounded by all these. Beautiful faces that were so unfamiliar to me, and I went and got myself, actually, I I went, I found, I was finally able to find um, a restaurant after walking around for a while that a woman on the plane from Hong Kong to Saigon had recommended to me, Um, and I went in and I had some of the most delicious food of my life for, I don't know, about two or three dollars. And then I just started wandering around the market there in Saigon, the main market, and um, I—I would—I still taking pictures, and I was just overwhelmed by the beauty of it and the chaos of it. I mean, you're just, you are just—you know—out every side of you. There, you know, there are uh, scooters and motorcycles whizzing by, and people just walking everywhere, and I don't know. I just. I couldn't help but just have this massive grin on my face, like, oh, my God, I did it, and I'm here. And so far, in the first two hours, <laughs> I'm loving it. I was just, I, I don't know that I could have been any happier.
1: I'm happy just hearing you talk about happy. And one thing I want to talk about, too, is when you when you're there and you're now in this happy place, and you're, oh, my gosh, I can only imagine the... The, not only the sights but the smells.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was it was the smell of stir fries, and yeah. it was the smell of chicken liver pate going on bonnies, and it was the smell of, of of fresh seafood being sold just out on the street, and um, it, oh, oh, and the, the chicken and and other and pork being cooked on teeny tiny grills on the sidewalk. I mean, your sensors just get flooded when you, when you land in any new place, I think. And that, that applies to whether you, you know, go to New Orleans for the first time or New York for the first time and you smell the hot dogs on the street, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's all the sensors that are heightened when you are experiencing something new. And that's something that I actually, over the last three years, really got almost addicted to the happiest I ever was was when I would land somewhere brand new and I would have absolutely no idea where I was within the city, how to get to um, a train station or a park or a restaurant I might be looking for. And you're forced to deal with la- a language that you don't know, with um, a city grid that you don't know, or if it's a village just with roads that have no, have no signs. Um, and that just became... Kind of my, my, my reason for being. I, I was just, I loved that feeling of absolute total adventure and not knowing what was happening. And that's something that, um, kind of now that I'm home, and I've been home for about two and a half months now, I miss that. It, it's, it, it, I was like a junkie for that. And now being home, it's almost like normal is more disconcerting than it was to land in a foreign country. Being in normal is weird.
1: Yeah, it totally <laughs> does make sense. I think we're all feeling that a little bit right now. Uh, but well, yeah, that adds to it. Exactly. But let's talk about the people, because we've talked about the senses and how the, mm. your senses are all heightened and you're on almost century overload. But let's talk yep. about the people, because here you're landing in a, a, a place that is just foreign to you. You're you're a. a a blonde tall blonde you're now in a country with <laughs> not that um right. and there's a the language thing tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you over these three years as you've encountered the different people and cultural uh differences that that you know maybe traditions are different and and the way that they yeah. do things talk about that a little bit
0: Oh, boy, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start with that, because it's it's so, I mean, let me tell you one thing that that I have been really preaching this um, as as I've come home, which is that I think we Americans tend to think of Southeast Asia, even of Asia itself, as this monolith, that it's all these Asian people, right? But it's not. I mean, first of all, Southeast Asia is not Northern Asia or Southern Asia. <laughs> um, Vietnam is as different from India as London as, as from Um And even within, there, there are four countries right there where I spent most of my time, which is um, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. If you look on a map, they're all right there together. Burma uh, is there too, and Malaysia, but those four countries um, share borders, and. I I don't know why, but I think because I had never been there, I just always kind of assumed that the cultures would be similar, that the languages would be similar, um, even the people there were. were and this is, this is going to be terrible to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think I thought the people there would even look fairly similar to one another, and they don't. Laos are completely different from from Thais, and Vietnamese and Thais are completely different. Their food is different. The language is just different. Um, The way they carry themselves is different. Um, They look different. its I mean, this is not a monolith in any sense of of the word. These are all distinct and unique cultures. And so now all of that by preface um, of answering a question, which is that uh, while the people themselves might be different, The thing that I learned more than anything else in my travels, um, you know, in 20 different countries, in Asia, in the Middle East, in Australia, is that 99% of the world's population is beautiful, good, honest, hardworking, lovely people. I didn't have one negative experience with the people of any of these countries, and they're all so different. Yes, you know, I had to navigate um, communication. I had to navigate, you know, the, the Vietnamese people I found were a little more reserved, for example, than the Thai people. So it was harder to, um, you know, get them to acknowledge me a little bit and, and talk to me. But that was, I think that was, that was on me more than it was on them. It was, it, was, it was on you as a traveler to adjust to the culture that you're in and that's just a learning process. But everyone, everywhere I ever went, was so helpful and wanted to figure out a way to communicate to help me with whatever I needed. And that is knowing that across the spectrum is such a beautiful thing to know about this world that we live in. And, you know, uh, there were two questions that people kept asking while I was gone. The first was, why Asia? And I've, I've, I've answered that. But the second which was disconcerting, was, don't you feel unsafe? Don't you worry? You're in a part of the world that's so dangerous. And if I could knock down anything of preconceptions that people have, it would be that. Because I never felt unsafe once. Not once. In two years and eight months in 20 different countries. Not once, Marilyn. Mm. And I want people to hear that. Because it's so important. The world is a good place. Yes, there are There are scary places, but, you know, I wouldn't go to a war zone. But for the most part, 98%, 99% of this world's population is good, beautiful
1: people. Well, I think, you know, breaking down these stereotypes, especially in the times that we have now, are so critically important, and we need to get it out there. And and for uh, people to be able to travel and to... Really step out of their comfort zone, call it their familiar zone, whatever you want to call it, and be that ambassador for us to go and bring back the news that, hey, folks, you know, these stereotypes are not real, and I'm here to tell you not only with my words but with my photos. And, Tess, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your photos because they are spectacular. Thank
0: you, thank you. Yeah, let's do that. I look forward to that.
1: Okay, Tess Figlin here with me today on Speaking of Travel. Fly me to the moon let me play among the stars Hi, it's Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with my guest Tess Figelin. She's just back from a big adventure. Uh, big. I, I don't even know that big is the right word. It, it you know, <laughs> that sounds so small. <laughs> in what well, you've done. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, as we said earlier, life-expanding. Life-expanding. Well, I, I happened to go um, on one of your posts, and you made a very detailed list of, like, 979 days, 32 months, 20 <laughs> countries, 63 cities. Um, I love that you had seven immunization shots and that you got food poisoning four times. I was like, yep, yep. keeping track. Well, we were talking about food we were talking about people you know the sights and the smells and 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 we had just talked a little bit about your photos but i want to Kind of expand on that a little bit, Tess, because, you know, in, in being connected with you from the very beginning when you were just taking off and I remember how you had asked around and, you know, what kind of camera should I have and what kind of setup yeah. should I get? Uh, that was all new to you as well. And here you are almost three years later. And I have to say, your you know, your photos of this adventure have been for you to share those with us, Uh, really powerful stuff, because you were able to capture so much of the the color and the the movement, and there was so much going on all the time.
0: There is. I mean, you know, you walk around some of these cities, and you just can't even absorb the amount of kinetic energy. That is happening around you, and I think that there are cities like that um, here in the United States. But we spend so much time in our cars and in buildings, um, and we there aren't a lot of cities here where there's just kinetic energy on the streets. I think you feel some of that, like in a New York City. But for the most part, that's just not the case. And you walk, you know, you you land in a place like New Delhi in India. Uh, or Colombo in Sri Lanka, and there, it, the place is just vibrating. There are, you know, people, and there are animals, and there are and street vendors, and it's just, I mean, it is a photographer's dream because there is every subject in the world right in front of you as you walk around. And so for me, especially as someone who was a, an audio journalist for my entire career, where I, I was always attuned to how things sounded, um, all of a sudden I was using my, my eye to try to tell the story of where I was. And that was not only a unique challenge, but it was also something that was really fun for me because I could take advantage of this part of the world Southeast Asia, South Asia, um, the Middle East, I went to Jordan, that is so colorful. I mean, the color that you find when you go to a place like uh, Yangon in Burma, uh, or Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, uh, Hanoi in Vietnam, Tokyo in Japan, they're all just, the colors are what pop out at you. And it's colors that people are wearing it's colors that they draped their street food um you know they have a banner or something on it and even the buildings are colored um i didn't i didn't think that i would ever find a place that was more colorful than than one of the neighborhoods in um, buenos aires in argentina but then i got to southeast asia and it's like the whole place is that neighborhood and um you know so so taking photographs uh, was not only a way that I could share with other people, but that I could remind myself of where I had been even that day. Um, you know, when you're walking around for 12 hours out of a day, you can't remember where you were when you started it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed that process of learning to use my eye, and also to approach people um, and either ask for a photograph or take one from far away, and just get people. My, my favorite, my favorite photographs, besides from the food ones, were the ones where I would just catch people doing what they were doing in their everyday lives, uh, where they didn't even know I was there, and they would, you know, be smiling or chatting with someone, and you know, that's what we do here. This is exactly the same thing.
1: Exactly. It's it's all it's all the same. We are all exactly the same. <laughs> I know it's you <laughs> know, but we are all the same. And to hear you be to be to hear you say that and to uh, acknowledge and affirm that because you were there, you were in people's homes. They, I'm sure that leaving must have been really hard because of the people that you met and connected oh, with. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean,
0: the people that I met along the way. <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting a little too bad, Um, are the people that I will take with me in my heart for the rest of my life. Uh, The complete strangers in the middle of Jodhpur in India, who who was sitting in the middle of the city, uh, and they just started talking to me and invited me to their home for dinner. And I may have, I've probably told this story before, but, you know, I made friends, friends for a lifetime then. I took a, tr- I took a risk, I took a chance, and I went home with complete strangers. Um, and they introduced me to their family of 12 in their small home in this relatively small town in the, in, in Rajasthan. And uh, like I said, they're friends for life. Um, I remember the school children who approached me at Borobudur a massive, massive monument in, on the island of Java in Indonesia. And they were school kids who came to this tourist site to practice their English with foreigners who were visiting. And I had several groups of them come up to me and want to interview me and ask me questions about why I was there and who I was and what I was doing and what it was like in the United States and what I thought of Indonesia And just these beautiful faces of young people who were, you know, trying to become citizens of the world by learning a new language. Um, It's the people I met in the region of Tohoku in northern Japan. It was one of the hardest-hit places uh, of the tsunami of 2012. And, um, you know, that, boy, or 2011, sorry. I mean, these people who are rebuilding from... Uh, the most massive catastrophe you could possibly imagine that took away entire towns, and they are rebuilding and talking to them about that process and what kind of hope you have to have to rebuild in in a place like that. I um, mean, the, all the, all of these people were, you know, they were they were just genuine and happy to see people who weren't from there, happy to see visitors and happy to tell you their stories. I mean, that, that's the most remarkable thing. I mean, that's, that's what I always marveled at through my career as a reporter, as a journalist, that people would tell me their stories. They would tell me, a complete stranger, their stories. And that happened throughout my travels of these last three years. Uh, same thing. People who didn't even speak my language but found a way to communicate their stories with me. That is just something that... Um, it's overwhelming. And, you know, I used this word before, but it was a gift. And I, my fondest wish for everyone in this country and, and citizens throughout the world is that they have the opportunity to travel and hear these stories from their fellow citizens. Because it is one planet. It is one planet. And we're all just living in different places, but we're all the same and we all have our stories. And they're all really important
1: and terribly beautiful. <laughs> And it's so important that we have, um, as you said, for people to be able to, uh, you know, it, I understand, I get it. Uh, making a big shift, making a big commitment to travel the world is a huge deal. Making a commitment to travel to the state next door to where you live can be a little bit less impactful. It can be a matter of getting in your car and going to another state and having a similar kind of experience of meeting new people and you know, eating different foods, drinking different drinks, yeah, absolutely, um, but hearing the stories and and I love the way you describe it as a global citizen because um, we all are global citizens, even in our own backyard. and we all can become ambassadors to bring back that information that we're all one and to remind us we need that more than ever. And Tess, when we come back, I want to talk about um, how, how the shift happened that after all of this impactful, beautiful, um, addicting lifestyle uh, came into your head that it was time to come home. Let's talk about that when we come back. Okay. All right. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with Tess Ficklin, and I'll tell you people are people. I'm here today with Tess Figlin. She's back from her almost three years adventure, um, so many days gone. Uh, Tess, you were uh, 127 flights, 38 airports, 8 oceans, 116 dives. Let's talk about that for a minute because... Before you left, you weren't diving much, were you? I wasn't,
0: I wasn't diving at all. Well, there you go. I had never, yeah, no, I, I had never been a diver. I had always loved um, the ocean. And I loved snorkeling, and I I'm, I'm, I've, I've loved swimming. Um, and I always thought that it would be something that would be kind of cool to do. So uh, when I was living in Vietnam, there was uh, a holiday. I think I remember this correctly. There was a holiday, and um, I didn't realize it. And so everything was shut down. And so I decided to fly to uh, one of the beach towns uh, on the eastern coast of, of, uh, well, there's only an eastern coast of (laughs) Vietnam, and um, I thought that I would just go and maybe do some hiking and biking and stuff like that, but the sports center that I looked up had diving instructions. And I thought, you know... I don't have anything else to do. I have no other plans. I'm traveling solo, so it's not like I have to, you know, do what I had planned with somebody else. So I'm going to go learn how to dive. And so over the course of a weekend, I, was, uh, I got my first certification. And there's actually a longer story to this because I, I freaked out on my first open water dive, and I almost quit. Um, and this is a very common thing that happens. So if this has happened to you... You might want to give it another shot <laughs> because it's worth trying again. Um, because I, 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 just, I absolutely freaked out um, on, on my first dive and I had to go back to the surface. Uh, but then I went back down and I haven't stopped since. And aside from the travel itself, that is the greatest thing that, uh, that I did for myself while I was away over these last three years. It's become one of the loves of my life. I would live underwater, I think, if I could. I understand I can't. I'm not a mermaid. But sometimes I feel like I should be one because that underwater world, I mean, it's, you know, it's another, it's, kind of, it's, it, 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 it's another country. It's another universe to explore. And it's beautiful and it's elegant. And again, the colors, oh, I'm just so attracted to color. And the colors down there are just extraordinary. And watching um, massive balls of fish, you know, red snapper or grouper or whatever, move in unison like birds do when they're in a murmuration. When when the fish do it, it's just, it's incredible. And the the most incredible part about it is that you can be part of it you know if you're calm enough if you're if you're diving and swimming correctly you can be part of that and they will swim all around you and next to you and you can be part of this movement of of these fish it's just oh man i could go on about it i know <laughs> and and
1: <laughs> again you know your photos of of your underwear are so brilliant in being able to deliver that color but of course you know we're not there to experience yeah. it but you you did a great job in doing that so i want to be able to to really dive in <laughs> if you will bum <laughs> bum 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 yeah uh, so here we have all this beauty and you know 20 countries um Beautiful people, all this loveliness, addiction going on, as you said. Um, And then you made a decision. Like, did it come to you over time, or was it an aha moment that it's time to go home? How did that – or did you just run out of money? I mean, how did that unfold, Tess? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: All of the above. Okay. Um, When I was home last Christmas, so Christmas of December of 2017, um, I started to think that um I either needed to get a job abroad or I needed to start thinking about coming home. And I thought that would happen sooner rather than later. And so I started putting out feelers here in the states for potential employment. Um and I I really started looking abroad because I was I was pretty sure that I didn't I was not I wasn't sure I wanted to come home uh that it would be out of necessity more than anything else. Um And so I I kind of started half-heartedly putting feelers out, and I was applying for some jobs in Bangkok, but it's very hard to get hired while you're abroad. Uh, You have to have very specialized skills that cannot be done um, or that they can't find internally there in the country, even if it's an NGO or the UN. So, um, you know, I was was doing that, uh, as you said, because my money wasn't running out, But I was getting to a point with my savings that didn't feel quite as comfortable anymore. And so, like I said, I started putting feelers out, and that was, you know, January, February of uh, this year, of 2018. And then I did a dive trip in January in Thailand, and then I started planning a second trip to India. And I just realized that there were still places (laughs) that I hadn't been that I wanted to go or that I wanted to go back to. And I just, I I, I wasn't ready to leave yet. I wasn't ready to kind of put that part of my life in the rearview mirror. So I went back to India a second time, and then I went diving in the Maldives, which I had been wanting to do. And I also knew that I wanted to uh, go back to Seoul, South Korea, because I had only been there for a very short time. Um, a couple of years ago. And uh, I wanted to go dive in Bali in, in Indonesia. So I had all these things that I wanted to do. And um, oh, and, I, and the kicker, I also had really wanted to get to Australia while I was on that side of the world. Mm. Uh, not that Australia is close to anything, including <laughs> Southeast Asia, but it's a 10 hour flight from Bangkok instead of, you know, a, what is it, 18 or 20 hours <laughs> from yeah. here. Um, so. I just decided to kind of put things on the back burner and um, keep kind of half-heartedly looking for employment, but I I really just wanted to get to all these places. So I ended up doing that. I went to the Maldives in uh, April and uh, then went to Australia in May. And I fell in love with Australia, like, hard and fast. I spent five days in Sydney and just was in my element And part of that I realized, you know, kind of thinking on it a few days later, was that it was such a relief to be somewhere where I didn't have to think about my language. And I didn't have to worry about customs. And I mean, yeah, I mean, they have some different customs, but it's basically Western there. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I could, I could dress differently or the way I used to. And I, you know, I just, there was a sensation of relief when I was there. Even though I was in a new country, it was familiar. And my brain didn't have to work as hard. And there was something about that that made me sit, sit up and take notice. And I spent a total of two weeks there. And for me, it was it was such a relief. Um, mostly, I, I realized how much work it is to live in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and where, you know, where the customs are all so different um, the culture is so different you don't realize how hard your brain is working on a minute to minute basis when you're living in a place like that and so when I got to Australia I was like oh my god this feels so good <laughs> I don't have to think as hard um, which may sound silly but it was what it was and so I decided to listen to that. And I thought, you know, maybe that's a sign that, um, that I'm tired. <laughs> that after, you know, two years and how, however many months it was at that point, six months or so, I, I, was, I was tired. Um, it wasn't that I wanted to stop traveling, but I was mentally and I think emotionally exhausted. Um, so that was really, it was a catalyst along with... Again, the dwindling bank account. And when I got back from Australia, I decided that it was time. Um, And I didn't want to go right away. I knew that I, well, first of all, I I had some freelance reporting that I still needed to do. And I still had a couple of places that I wanted to visit. Kuala Lumpur. um, And I I wanted to get to my, Australia was my 19th country. And so I wanted to get to my 20th. And I decided that Brunei was going to be that 20th country uh, on the island of Borneo. It's teeny, teeny, tiny. It's just this kingdom that shares the island of Borneo with Malaysia and Indonesia. So um, I booked a trip to, to Brunei and uh, then also went to Kuching in Malaysia to see uh, the monkeys there and the orangutans. And then I did go diving in Bali and um, started to pack up my apartment in Bangkok and... Ended up uh, having four days in Bangkok in between Bali, and then I was spending five days in Seoul, South Korea, on my way home. And so those final four days in Bangkok were really strange. Um, and I wasn't sure that I was making the right decision. But again, I kind of had to trust my gut. And, you know, my gut had been chatting with me while I was in Australia. <laughs> And so um, that was it. And I feel good about the way I wrapped it up. You know, I, I made sure that I did the things that I wanted to do. Um, but it, w- it, was, it was sad. I was horribly sad the last few days in Bangkok and saying, saying goodbye to the, the community that I had established there. The really dear friends that I had made over the last two years there. Almost two and a half years. It was, it was incredibly difficult. Um, but, I, you know, I did it the way I wanted to do it, and I came back through Seoul, which is one of the most fascinating cities I've ever been in, um, with, again, the most amazing food. Um, and then I arrived home on August 16th in Portland, Oregon.
1: Well, Tash, you know what? I have come to realize we need to do part two of this interview. <laughs> Because our time is up and we're just oh, getting no. home. I know. So why don't we make that happen? We'll get another okay. date on the calendar and we'll pick up right there because I wanna know and I know my listeners are gonna wanna know what that transition was like. Because you've moved us to wanting to know. So I can't thank you enough, Tess, and I look forward to part two so we can keep it going and just wrap it up and Find out a little bit more about what it's like for you to be settled in.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll have a little more perspective at that
1: point. You <laughs> so will. You see, know like, you will. I'm very
0: disoriented
1: right now. That's great. That's perfect for us. So thank you so much for, for today and for the last four conversations. We're going to put them all together so we can listen from beginning to – we're going to keep this story going, Tess. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it's going to be the <laughs> well, speaking now, of it travel. It's it been
0: such a pleasure to talk with you uh, in, in all, all of these hours.
1: It's, mm. and,
0: it, and it's been helpful for me to kind of just take some time and sit and, and and think about about all this. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a great. It is a great honor, and we're going to keep it going. So Tess, go out and have a great day to day, and 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 I. What should we say? You know, you're settling in. Period. And uh, let us yeah. know how can we follow you. Tell us real quick.
0: Um, well, uh, feel free to send me a friend request on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I don't spend a lot of time there because I find it a cesspool. <laughs> um, um, I'm also on Instagram if you want to see some of, some of my photographs. Um, and it's Tess Vigland. Um, and I'm also, I'm, I had a, a website, com that you can visit. That has all my travels. And I'm, I am going to be posting there on, on what it's been like to, to come home as well. So oh, good. Hopefully I'll keep that updated. Good.
1: Well, Tess, we're looking forward to talking to you again, and thank you so much for kind of being our global citizen ambassador for the last almost three years.
0: It has been entirely my pleasure. Thanks so much, Marilyn. You bet.
1: This is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel here with Tess Viglin. Go out and make it a great day. Have a wonderful week, and remember don't postpone joy. Oh.